0: Hello.
1: has sanctified us by his commandments and has commanded us to be a light to the nations and has given us Yeshua the Messiah, the light of the world. Amen.
2: Amen. And now the Kiddush, blessing over the cup.
0: Baruch Eloheinu melech olam, Borei prihagahafin,
2: Amen. Blessed art thou, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who creates the fruit of the vine. Amen. Amen. And now the blessing over the bread. Hamotzi lechem min haaretz We give thanks to God for bread Our voices rise in song together As our joyful prayer is said Blessed art thou, O Lord, our God, King of the universe, who brings forth bread from out of the earth. Amen. Amen. All of that. Now, husbands, if you will bless your wives. Dear Heavenly Father. I thank you, Lord, for the wonderful wife that you've given me. And Father, we thank you and we pour out a blessing upon all the wives on this Sabbath day. I pray that you bless her, strengthen her, and encourage her as she rises in the night to see about the ways of the household. And I pray that you strengthen her as she teaches and educates our children. Father, I pray that you pour out your very best blessing upon her and that you would encourage her in everything that she does. Let her know how worthy of praise and honor that she is. And, Father, I confess with all of my heart that I love her, and I thank you, Lord, for her. We also bless all of the widows and orphans, those without a father or a husband at this time as well. We thank you in Yeshua's name. Amen. 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 All right, now let's bless our sons. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. And may you be as Ephraim and Manasseh. Amen. 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 Let's bless our daughters. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. And may you be as Ruth and as Esther. Amen.
3: Amen. Amen. Shabbat shalom. Shabbat shalom.
1: shalom. Shalom. Please join us for the Baruch, the call to worship.
0: Baruch et aronai hamvorach. Baruch aronai hamvorach leolam vaed.
1: Bless the Lord who is to be praised. Blessed be the Lord, who is praised for all eternity. Amen. And now the Michamocha.
0: Michamocha ba'elim Madonai. Michamocha nedar ba'kodesh, No, he o Oh, say, oh, who is like you. none else. You are awesome in praise, doing wonders, O Lord, who is like you, O
1: Lord. Amen. And now the blessing of Messiah. Baruchata ta'aranai Elohinu melech olam Asherna et Derek Ha Yeshua ba Mashiach Yeshua. Altogether, blessed are you, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who has given us the way of salvation in Messiah Yeshua. Amen. And now the Vishamru Vishamru vene Yisrael et Hashabat. La asot et Hashabat la doratam berit olam. Bene ovayan vene Yisrael otile olam. Kesheshet yamin asa aronai et Hashemayim va et haraletz. Uvayom hashvii shvat. Altogether, the children of Israel shall keep the Sabbath and observe the Sabbath throughout their generations as an everlasting covenant. It is a sign between me and the children of Israel forever. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, and on the seventh day he ceased from work and was refreshed. Amen. And now the Shema. If you would all turn and face east toward Jerusalem for the watchword of our faith, the Shema. Shema
0: Yisrael, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad. Baruch Shem Kevod Malchuto Leolam. Yeshua HaMashiach Hu
1: Adonai. Hero O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. Blessed be his name, whose glorious kingdom is forever and ever. Yeshua the Messiah, he is Lord. Amen. And now the et Adonai Elohecha. Ve'ahol levavacha, uvchol navshecha, uvchol meodecha. V'hayu, Ha devarim haalea sher anochi, mitzavcha, hayom, al levavacha. Vashinantam levanecha, vidibartabam, veshiftacha, bebetrecha, uvlechtecha, viderech, uvshufbecha, uvkumicha. Ukshartam, leot alyadecha, vahayula totafot, benanecha. Uktaftam, almezuzot, betecha, uvisharecha. Altogether, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart with all your soul and with all your might. And these words which I command you this day shall be upon your heart and you shall teach them diligently to your children and shall speak of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way, when you lie down and when you rise up. You shall bind them for a sign upon your hand and they shall be for frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them upon the doorposts of your house and upon your gates. Amen.
0: I need the hand of your robe I need the hand of your robe So as you walk by, Lord Hang your robe down low Hang your robe down my son of david hear my cry son of david hear my cry, I cannot be silent, my Savior's walking by, so I Precious Yeshua
3: Shabbat Shalom, everyone. I'm Monty Judah, and this is another opportunity for us to share the Haftorah with you for this Arab Shabbat, this Shabbat being about Noah. uh, We have a portion from the prophet Isaiah that is used to parallels the teaching of Noah. Uh, And it's in Isaiah chapter 54, the specific verse in this passage that ties back to Noah, is verse 9, which says, For this is like the days of Noah to me, when I swore that the waters of Noah should not flood the earth again. So I have sworn that I will not be angry with you, nor will I rebuke you. So that passage from Isaiah is what is used to link uh, this whole area uh, in, as a half-to-a portion back into Noah. Let me just briefly mention some things about Noah and then we'll get into this passage and you'll see even stronger why this passage speaks to it. Noah and his family were living in a world that got very corrupt and God made the decision that he can't let the world continue on the way it was and so he instructed Noah whom God gave grace to Uh, to build an ark and he and his family loaded up on it and uh, after the judgment of the flood uh, reestablished Noah and mankind on the earth again and with the blessings that that followed and essentially God's graciousness toward Noah uh, to preserve him is really the theme that the prophet is trying to communicate to us That this gracious God that was gracious to Noah, he's equally gracious to us. And with that said, let me read, I just want to read some of this. And I want you to keep in mind how God is trying to express his love, his care uh, for us as his people. And so beginning at Isaiah 54, verse 1, it says this. Shout for joy, O barren one, you who have borne no child. Bring forth into joyful shouting and cry aloud, you who have not travailed. For the sons of the desolate one shall be more numerous than the sons of the married woman, says the Lord. Enlarge the place of your tent. Stretch out the curtains of your dwellings. Spare not. Lengthen your cords and strengthen your pegs for you will spread abroad to the right and to the left, and your descendants will possess nations, and they will resettle desolate cities. Fear not, for you will not be put to shame, neither feel humiliated, for you will not be disgraced, but you will forget the shame of your youth and the reproach of your widowhood you will remember no more. For your husband is your maker, whose name is the Lord of hosts, and your Redeemer is the Holy One of Israel, who is called the God of all of the earth. For the Lord has called you like a wife forsaken and grieved in spirit, even like a wife of one's youth when she is rejected, says your God. For a brief moment I forsook you, but with great compassion I will gather you in an outburst of anger, I hid my face from you for a moment, but with everlasting loving kindness will have compassion on you, says the Lord your Redeemer. Now, if we look back into the history of Israel since the days of Isaiah, have we seen God uh, do the kinds of things that are very positive spoken of here by the prophet? God is saying, he said, this is what your past is, but I'm going to change that. You were embarrassed from your youth, but I will remove the shame. He says, you were barren, but now I will increase you. Your tent was small, but now stretch out the cords. Your tent will become great. In other words, everything that is good uh, that can be addressed in this, God is expressing to Israel. But there's a little bit of a clue that's given here as to when does this really happen? And the clue is the next verse, which was the verse that ties to Noah. For this is like the days of Noah to me, when I swore that the waters of Noah should not flood the earth again. If you'll remember, going back to the Noah story, and this is how this half portion ties in this world situation had gotten completely out of control and God regrettedly, had to deal with the world well let's consider for a moment that all of these wonderful things when do they come that God spoke to us about the increasing and, and the love and the compassion and taking us back and nurturing us and so forth it comes after some kind of God's great judgment that as a result of the judgment, this is the transition that will take place, that will increase and will do better, and and you will be cared for by me and so forth. This is the message. So what is, let's look at our broader understanding of the scripture, looking at the whole story that we have. We have God who did judge the world uh, back there a long time ago, but he's talking about another judgment that will be coming. The other judgment coming Is called the day of the Lord. And all the prophets of Israel have spoken of this. It's spoken of by the Messiah. It's spoken of by the apostles. There's a day coming when the world is going to get judged again. Not by water, because God promised not by water again. Only this time, it's by a consuming fire. Um, You know, being an ex-Navy guy, I think I'd prefer the water over the fire part. Uh, It'll be a very severe judgment in which that mankind will be exterminated uh, and those who receive grace from God are the ones who make it through just like Noah and his family. We will be on the other side. This description is describing the other side of that judgment. Look at it again. Shout for joy, O barren one. Who has borne no child? Break forth into joyful shouting and cry aloud, you who have not you who have not travailed. For the sons of the desolate one will be more numerous than the sons of the married woman. He's talking about being in a time, uh, you know, where you're going to increase, you're going to multiply. And we know that one of the descriptions of the messianic kingdom after the day of the Lord is the. It says of the Messiah. There will be no end to the increase. He also describes, and I love this passage here, where he talks about, he likens it unto a tent. Uh, Verse 2, enlarge the place of your tent, stretch out the curtains of your dwelling, spare not. lengthen your cords, strengthen your pegs. I don't know how many of you have been in a a tent, but one of the things that you learn that you have to do uh, frequently with a, a tent is you have to reset the stakes and you have to strengthen the cords that hold the tent in place because uh, they weaken and, and so forth but he's not talking about just strengthen the ones that exist he's talking about take the stakes put it out even farther take the cord stretch it out to that one and so that the tent becomes greater again another indicator of things will increase you know, that we'll be a part of and uh, that will be gathered. Look at this, verse 7. For a brief moment I forsook you, but with great compassion I will gather you. That is the final redemption of Israel. That's the greater exodus, that, yes, we were judged by God. Our ancestors sinned, kicked out of the land. Here we are scattered in the nations, but God has made promises to us He will once again gather us. The the exile will end. He will gather us and he will bring us to the promised land. He'll bring us to uh, the kingdom. So there you have the verse for that. So the passage that I read to you from verse 1 all the way down through verse 8 is really a description of what God is telling us he wants to do for us after he judges the world. And that the timing on that is a part of that. And I've only pointed out a couple of quick things here, but all of the verses in here, they all tied to definitions that fit in the Messianic kingdom. Now let's go a little bit further because he's going to uh, continue what I've just shared with you. Verse 10, For the mountains may be removed and the hills may shake, But my loving kindness will not be removed from you, and my covenant of peace will not be shaken, says the Lord who has compassion on you. Wow. If you were looking for a verse that would confirm what I just shared with you, this is it. In the great tribulation, we know that when the day of the Lord comes, there is going to be a restructuring of the surface of the earth. There is going to be cataclysmic upheaval with the coming of the Lord in the day of the Lord. For example, he describes how the sea will be no more. I mean, just think about that for a moment. The sea that we have around the world is 70% of the surface of of the earth. And all of a sudden, he's going to restructure the earth and say the sea is no more. And furthermore, there's other verses that talk of the messianic King, as that the earth is a very broad plain. Mountains will be made low. Valleys will be raised up, um, and there will be less sea. Uh, you know, I don't think it'll be a total thing of the removal of the sea, but he, if, even if it was just a flip-flop, 70% land and 30% sea, that would be huge. That would be incredible uh, to take place. And that's what he's trying to say here. He's saying that I'm going to shake the whole earth I'm literally, I'm going to restructure the whole earth, but my loving kindness will not be removed from you. And loving kindness ties back to God's grace and God's mercy. We experience loving kindness when we receive grace from God. So just like Noah was able to emerge from the flood, that judgment, we will emerge from this judgment that's coming and we will not be shaken now he goes in further and he says and my covenant of peace will not be shaken just like God made a covenant with Noah at the end of the flood we have a new covenant that is promised by many prophets to come. that is after the Messiah returns when the Messiah returns he's to give one more covenant to us the covenant of peace If you go back in the Torah study about Phineas, you remember that when he slew um, Cosby and Zimri, uh, impaled them with a spear, that God granted to him the covenant of peace in advance um, of the rest of us. This is the covenant of the millennial kingdom. This is the covenant of of, um, uh, being in the Lord's kingdom after the great tribulation. So he's saying that that will be there and that will be uh, not shaken. And he says, and the Lord will have compassion on you. That statement alone is absolutely incredible. Um, When when it says the Lord's compassion will be turned to you, we're talking about something that God does very powerfully. I don't know if you remember this, but in the New Testament. There are moments when it says of the Messiah that the Messiah had compassion uh, on the people. And some of his teachings that were given at that time are the ones that are recorded. The, the way he would minister to the people and nurture to the people and fill the need of their heart and, and value them uh, was tremendous. And so he's basically saying he's going to value us in a special, nurturing way. Believe you me, you're going to like this a lot. You will be very thankful for this. This this will be, you know, beyond the measure of what you think God can do for you and so forth, and his compassion will be upon us. These are the wonderful and good things that are going to take place in after the story of Noah, after the great tribulation for us. Again, the parallel here is he's trying to say, just as I dealt with Noah and brought him through, I'm going to do the same thing with you, and I'm going to be you know, treating you well, but you'll be in the kingdom, not just in another age uh, that the world has gone through. Now he's uh, going to uh, share something that I consider to be extremely powerful that ties directly to the book of Revelation. Verse 11, O afflicted one, storm-tossed and not comforted, Behold, I will set your stones in antimony, your foundations I will lay in sapphires. Moreover, I'll make your battlements of rubies and your gates of crystal. Does that sound reminiscent in the book of Revelation? The answer is it absolutely is. Because the description of the New Jerusalem has a wall that is exactly as has been described here. Remember the gates named after the 12 tribes of Israel, the foundation stones after the apostles, and the height of the wall, 144 cubits. The stones, the precious stones in the wall, is a memorial, and this we get this from the book of Revelation, of the 144,000. This, from Isaiah, is something being spoken about the 144,000 That will be in the great tribulation. And we know according to the prophecy. They do not suffer death. We know according to the prophecies. And and the pattern of the prophecies. They actually make it through the great tribulation. They're the welcoming committee. For the Messiah when he returns to Jerusalem. And they are referred to as precious stones. That make up the wall. uh, So that the people can be comforted. Here is Isaiah, again speaking in the aftermath of the great tribulation, speaking of those and that tremendous ministry they will do. This ministry, according to God, is the equivalent to the base of God establishing the 12 tribes of Israel. That was huge in, in the biblical story. It's uh, He says, it's as great as the 12 apostles. That is a huge component in the history of our faith. He says this one will be at the same level as those. Something to look forward to that during the great tribulation that we see the 144,000 and we understand the aftermath of the contribution that they make to God's great prophetic plan. This is what he goes on to say concerning them. He says, uh, verse 3, excuse me, verse 13. And all your sons will be taught of the Lord, and the well-being of your sons will be great. In righteousness you will be established, you will be far from oppression, for you will not fear and from the terror, for it will not come near to you. Wow. How would you like to be in the great tribulation and have those words spoken over you to get through that whole thing? If, verse 15, if anyone fiercely assails you, it will not be from me. Whoever assails you will fall because of you. You know, the average believer, the average uh, church-going Sunday guy who is scared to death of the book of Revelation, uh, let me, first of all, let me tell you why he's scared to death of it. It's a lot of doom and gloom. It's a lot of you know, martyrs. It's uh, bad people, the devil being on the earth. You know, they don't want to hear any of that. They're, and why? They're scared. They're afraid for themselves. They're afraid for their wife. They're afraid for their kids. They're afraid for their grandchildren. They're afraid. And it's very difficult for them to hear the words, be strong and courageous. I will. The Lord promises, I will never leave you nor forsake you. It, to a certain extent, they hear those words, but they can't process them. It, it, you know, they, they think they'll be forsaken, to be left alone, and they're just going to get slaughtered. And so they reject the whole topic and the whole thing under the mistaken idea that if I don't deal with this and I don't think about this, it won't happen. Oh, contrary, it's definitely going to happen. And But the tactic that's being used by them is not the right one. That's not how you deal with this subject. The way you deal with this subject and all of its difficult uh, times and so forth is you have to see, one, what is the end result? You're going to be in the kingdom with God. God's going to dwell with you. That's good. Number two, he's made promises about how you will escape, survive and endure, and he's going to get you through it. And you're saying, oh, that's not very convenient. You're right. It's not very convenient. Did you want to live or did you want to die? You know, when you want to live, I don't, ma- I don't care if it's not convenient. I'm, I'm going to do what I have to do to live. The basic instinct for all of us to want to live. So the idea of being a coward and drawing back from it, I don't want to know about it. That is not the path on how you live. That's the path on how you get steamrolled by what's going on and not getting into God's plan as to what's going on. Here is the Lord expressing in positive terms Um, you know these words uh, you will be far from oppression for you will not fear and from the terror for will not come near you wouldn't you God said wouldn't you want to find out how do I get to be in that position and have that wonderful promise what do I have to do well it's associated with those who are associated with the hundred and forty four thousand so when the great tribulation comes and you find some people who are of the 144,000. They have the name of God written across their forehead, and they represent different tribes of Israel. Stick with them. They're the ones that make it. And it goes on to promise. That's what they're, That's what happens to them. You stick with them, you get the same benefit from it. Look, um, verse 16. Behold, I myself have created the smith who blows the coals fire of coals and brings out a weapon for his work and I have created the destroyer to ruin no weapon that is formed against you will prosper and every tongue that accuses you in judgment you will condemn this is the heritage of the servants of the Lord and their vindication is from me declares the Lord Wow what a powerful statement of encouragement that should lift every one of us and feel like we are just armor-plated with God. The word vindication, I love this English word. Vindication means a strong defense. It doesn't talk about it being offensive. Vindication means a strong defense. And that's what we all desire when threat and trouble comes to us you know it's not my job to go win the kingdom for the Lord he's gonna do that on his own well my job is is to find some way to be in parallel with his kingdom and since he said he's the one who's going to deal with the enemy then let me stand behind him let me be comforted by him and let him do what he needs to do and I will stick with him and then I will have a strong defense By the way, have you ever heard the expression, the best defense is a good offense? You ever heard that? Well, wait till you see the offense that the Lord has for the enemy. You guarantee you you will have a great defense because of his offense that he will come and he will do uh, with it. All right, so those are our passages that really tie in to Noah. Let me go ahead into chapter 55 because I want to, I want to read this next paragraph to you because I, I think it's uh, noteworthy for us to consider. Chapter 55, beginning of verse 1. Ho, oh, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. You who have no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why do you spend money for what is not bread and your wages for what does not satisfy Listen carefully to me and eat what is good and delight yourself in the abundance. Incline your ear and come to me. Listen that you may live and I will make an everlasting covenant with you according to the faithful mercies shown to David. Behold, uh, I have made him a witness, uh, made him a witness to the peoples, a leader and a commander for the peoples. Behold, you will call a nation you do not know. And a nation which knows you will not run to you because of the Lord your God, even the Holy One of Israel, for he has glorified you. Um, Do you remember when the Messiah, you know, he had done the feeding of the 5,000? And that day when they were done, the disciples gathered up 12 baskets of bread. They fed 5,000 and they still had 12 baskets of bread. They loaded them in a boat. And the disciples took off sailing to go up to Capernaum. You know, they had been where the feeding of the 5,000 was. Yeshua, on the other hand, he didn't get in the boat. He turned around, went the opposite direction, and climbed up a mountain. I have been to the place where the feeding of the 5,000 is, and that's exactly the way it's structured. You go north, uh, you go to Capernaum on the sea, you go to uh, kind of... Uh, south uh, west uh, and you you go up on this big huge mountain and it's actually going over toward uh, Magdala uh, Magdala, and that community over there that was around uh, the uh, Galilee area now according to the story the gospel is the disciples are sailing back it's in the late time it's in the night time and a storm rises up and they are afraid they're going to lose their lives and they cry out to God. And lo and behold, here comes the Messiah walking on water out to them. They think he's a ghost. It's an apparition they just don't understand. Well, it turns out it is the Lord and Peter attempts to walk on the water with him and, you know, that whole story. But anyways, he calms the storm and he gets the boat where it needs to go. He gets into port. The very next day, with all those events taking place. The very next day, the people who had formerly been at the feeding of 5,000, a whole bunch of them, got in boats and they went up to Capernaum because they'd heard that's where they're going. They get up there and they're shocked to find that the Messiah is there. We saw him go the opposite direction. We saw him go the opposite of Capernaum. And so they asked the question, what are you doing here? How did you get here? And that's when Yeshua confronted them and said, you didn't come here looking for me. You came here looking for the bread. You knew I went the other direction. You didn't go over there and try to find me over there. You you came up here where the bread went. And he confronts them, And he confronts them with the whole idea that you guys are pursuing a bread and a drink that is not going to do anything for you. It's vain. It's temporal. It's not going to do what you're really hoping for. And he went into the point where he said, what you really want is you want to eat the bread that I give, which if you eat of it, you'll never be hungry again, and the drink, that if you drink of it, you'll never be thirsty again. And, of course, you remember, they all said, well, give us this bread. And he said, I am the bread. He says, I am the bread. Well, that's essentially the same message that took place there in Capernaum was given by Isaiah Here's Isaiah chapter 55 this is God is expressing and say you know why are you spending your resources on things that are not going to satisfy you come to me and get from me something that doesn't cost anything at all it's for you and and he's making the appeal to them It's almost like it's a gospel message being given by Isaiah, the same one that Yeshua gave up in Capernaum. And it goes hand in hand with this whole business that we are here on this earth in a mortal frame for a finite period of time. We're born, we're brought into the world, and we're here to make a decision for eternity. Are we going to live with God for eternity and it doesn't cost us anything? It's already provided for us. The price has already been paid. Or are we going to ignore that and think that we can control that and we'll determine that? If we attempt to control it and attempt to determine it, we're going to suffer loss. We're going to lose. But if we're willing to lay ourselves down and choose what God has done, we receive it without cost. We receive it graciously. It's summed up in this little uh, verse that the Messiah gave to us. He who attempts to save his life shall lose it. But he who's willing to give up his life, his life will be saved. The whole idea being is that God is the source of life, not us or anything that we can do. That was the case for Noah. Noah had to listen to God. Through Noah's uh, obedience to what God said, he lived. He didn't live because of his own efforts. He lived because God was gracious to him and showed him the path how to be delivered from the future judgment that was coming. We are in the same boat, so to speak. Uh, there's judgment coming. You want to get through the judgment? Well, get in this little ark thing we call the Messiah, and he delivers us you know, from those days. And he's got a very powerful plan on how he's going to do it. And we ought to know about that plan, and we ought to be about that plan. So that's our Hofdor portion for this week that goes with Noah, Shabbat Shalom.
2: If you would, please turn your Bibles to the book of Matthew, to chapter 24, where our Brit Hadashah portion will begin for this week. Our Torah portion is um, Noah, which is the second portion in the Torah cycle. And many of us are familiar with the story of Noah, of course, the story of Noah being saved by grace um, and was commanded to build an ark, and that he and his family, eight in total, survived a worldwide flood. Now, of course, the reason for this being is that the world had become utterly corrupt, that sin and had run rampant throughout the creation that God had made. Adam, of course, sinned, the original sin, and through several uh, generations of descendants, the world had fell into a great amount of um, sin, debauchery, all of these different things, and in, in which God then regretted the creation that he had made. And that, of course, then judgment had to come. So we look back at the worldwide flood, of course, in the story of Noah, and we know that we should, we need to be cautious to make sure we don't fall into that same kind of sin. We live in a world, of course, where there still is sin, there still is corruption and terrible things. And so then it's one of those reasons, and because of the story of Noah, we know that God is in the business of, and has a plan and a prophetic uh, nature to judge the world when it comes to a point in which sin goes too far. We begin in Matthew chapter 24, starting at verse 36, where the the Messiah himself was asked, When will the Son of Man return? When will will the, the Lord come back? And he said this, in the beginning at verse 36, he says this, "...but of the day and hour no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, but my Father only. But as the days of Noah were, so also will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in the days of the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day that Noah entered the ark, and did not know until the flood came, and took them all away. So also will the coming of the Son of Man be." Now, one, we're talking about the coming of the Son of Man, and that we know that the Lord will be coming at a time, it specifically says, in a day and an hour that no one knows. Not even the angels of heaven know when the Son of Man will come. Now, some people have used this passage to speculate on the idea that God will come, it says, like a thief in the night, he'll just show up randomly and he will return, and no one will be prepared for it. Other people have led to believe that there's some kind of rapture uh, that will take place where some people will be taken up, whisked away to go and be with the Lord while the rest stay and remain for judgment. What is being expressed here, though, is this, is that there will be some who will be ready for the coming of the Lord. Some will have their hearts ready and turned, ready for the Son of Man to come, and others will not. If you go back to the story of the flood, I mean, picture this, that there was people that would see how creation was going and knowing it was several generations after, knowing that there had to have been knowledge that God existed, that God had made the world. Wouldn't all of this information had been shared and people knew that there was a God. If they then, all the people of the earth were walking around, sinning, giving in marriage, doing any manner of things wouldn't they have expected that the Lord's judgment would come, that God's power was still there? Well, there was one man that was righteous that knew what was, that something was going to happen. In fact, God then told him what he was going to do, and that man was Noah, and that Noah found grace in the sight of the Lord, that he did what was righteous, and he knew, and he was prepared and so in the, case that, in, in the case of Noah and the other people, the same pattern and parallel could be. Noah was then who was going to be saved, while others were left for judgment. So shall the end times be as well. That's what the Messiah said when he was speaking about the coming of the Son of Man. But he says specifically here, saying, it will be like the days of Noah. Now, if you think about the sin and the corruption that would have been, first of all, there wouldn't have been very many people that would have been alive at that time. But there was obviously, there were cities and there was established uh, enough people around to have established at least, uh, the, the world had, had grown to at least some amount. And, but it almost was like all were sinning, all that were alive were sinning, with the exception of perhaps Noah. If you think about it today we might say, well, you know what? Today, maybe things are better today. We know and we we talk about how there's, you know, two two point some billion Christians in the world today. There are good people out there, but there is also a lot of evil in the world today. I would venture to say, based on generations, there are more people sinning and be corrupting themselves today than were alive in the days of Noah. That's just the amount of people that happen to be populating the earth. So one could say that the sin that we have today is greater in number than who were alive during the time of the flood. That should actually give us a little bit of warning. That should actually cause us to be concerned when you think about, we might say, some might argue, that it's like, oh no, things aren't as bad as they were in the days of Noah. Well, there's there's probably more people sinning today than there were in the days of Noah. That should be alarming to us. The other thing too is this, the specific things that are being described is exactly some of the sins and problems that we have in the world today, where people are eating and drinking, and we got alcoholism is a huge problem in this world. Drug abuse is a huge problem in this world, and you can imagine the intoxication that would have inhabited the world that Noah lived in. And that the marrying and giving in marriage, that rings true with the world today, when you're talking about that we can't understand either what marriage is, those that might even hold fast to an idea that marriage is between a man and a woman and not between any other gender or species or anything like that, we still, however, don't hold that to a certain level of sanctity because people are marrying people, people are getting divorced. The divorce rate's 50% for all new marriages, basically, in this country. And it's, that's a terrible thing and situation when you're talking about marrying and giving a marriage. Even for heterosexual couples, they're not doing it rightly and appropriately either. It's an exchange. It's an agreement. People just do it freely, randomly, willy-nilly without any regard for it, and it has no value to anyone. And that's not even going into all the crazy, bizarre types of marriages that you might see where people marry themselves, marry their pet, marry another gender of something or someone or multiple people or wherever, however somebody wants to take, and pervert that covenant relationship that is between two people, bride and groom, and that this was a covenant established by God between a man and a woman, all the way back to Genesis 1. And so this is the world we live in now, when you, especially when you see the marrying and giving in marriage, that is probably just as bad, if not worse, because people are finding new ways to pervert the idea of marriage seems on a daily basis in the world we live in today. This is the warning to us at the end of the age. Remember, we say that God can declare the ends from the beginning. And so then what we're talking about here is we are talking about there was a great judgment in the beginning, back in Bereshit, back in Genesis, a great judgment because the world had done terrible things. Well, guess what? Into the future, there's going to be a great judgment because the man are doing terrible things. We are simply telling the cycle of life, describing as we're talking about Noah and the flood, and one of the first stories of the, of the Bible, and we're talking about what's going to happen at the end of the age, and God has that power to, do, to, to teach these things. So what we have to learn from the days of Noah, from those things, things to watch out for because that will be the atmosphere by which the world will, will defile itself, and then the return of the Son of Man will come. We're all looking forward to that day. Many people, we, we talk about having a faith in the Messiah and wanting him to return. Wanting him to return and clean up this place because we have, we, we, we've defiled ourselves. Well, you know what? There's actually something that we can do personally in our spiritual lives, which is actually one of the first things we do when we become a believer, that parallels what Noah did with the flood. And what, what Noah, by him being saved through the flood, and by God judging the world with water. If you would turn with me to First Peter chapter three, which is another traditional teaching uh, passage that's for the Brit Hadashah portion for uh, this uh, for the portion of Noah. So if you go to First Peter chapter three and go ahead and go to verse eighteen, this is what it says: For Christ also suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh and made alive by the Spirit, by whom also he went and preached to the spirits in prison, who formerly were disobedient. When once the divine long-suffering waited for the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is, eight souls, were saved through water. There is also an antitype which now saves us, baptism, not the removal of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God through the resurrection of Yeshua the Messiah, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God, angels and authorities and powers having been made subject to him. Did you notice the parallel? First of all, I do find that fascinating that you think about the Lord who is ready to judge the world, gave Noah the time he needed to prepare the ark. Imagine if Noah had not prepared the ark. If Noah was told to build the ark, but he was taking too long and he was waiting. At what point does God say, enough is enough, there's not enough, I told you to prepare, yet you haven't done what I've said? That's an interesting question. Obviously, but it says here, The the Lord himself, he waited to judge the world. Remember, he had regretted in his heart what he had done in the creation. But God was long-suffering. It's one of the attributes of God. Patience. Having the patience to wait for his people to be ready. That's one little nugget devotion we can talk about here is when we're talking about us preparing ourselves for the return of the Lord, we ourselves, that the Lord is waiting on us to prepare ourselves, to be ready. Are we doing all we can to be ready for the return of the Lord? Now, spiritually is what we're talking about here, because there's a lot of people in their hearts who might say, yeah, I love the Lord. I'm waiting for the Lord to return. But there's other people that will say, yeah, but... I would love to see my grandkids grow up. I would love to see these things. I would love to do all of these different things. And we truly have not prepared ourselves for the coming of the Lord. The Lord waits for that. But the other thing that Noah did and that the whole idea of the flood produced, and it was one word right there in that passage that it talked about, and that was baptism. Baptism. The idea that we go and immerse ourselves in the water and we come up out of the water. And what is the change that is supposed to come to us when we go into the water? If you go with me to John chapter three, the Messiah specifically said, and he spoke about this when he said this. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Yeshua by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from that you are a teacher come from God. For no one can do the signs that you do unless God is with him. Yeshua answered to him and said, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Yeshua answered, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. The Messiah is teaching the concept of being born again. Now, when we are born, we're born of the womb naturally, physically, Born of water, because that's what we actually are inside the womb. And then when we're born, and one of the main uh, things that tells us that, wa- that the birth is coming is a flow of water that tells us there's a new life that is about to be born. And that when we are born in life, we are born first of water. We are within our mother's womb. But then the Messiah is teaching us about being born again. And we do so by being immersed into water again we've already come out of water, we grew up there, we lived there for nine months, and then as we grow, as we then spiritually mature, we then have to be born again, go into the water and come out and become alive. A new life begins when that happens. Now, yeah, physically you were still alive before that, but spiritually there should be a whole new lease on life. And this is where the whole idea and the concept of being born again, told we need to be born again. And this is one of the earliest first things that we do, even as believers. We confess our sin. We have sinned. We have made mistakes, just as our forefathers have. And I wish to be washed clean. Well, then go take a shower. No, it's not about being clean of the filth of dirt and, and and the world. But no, it's being clean of the spirit to wash the things that the world has put upon us spiritually, in our hearts, in our minds, in our lives, the things we, we think and we feel, and to be washed clean of the Spirit. We must learn to be born again. This is one of the most natural things that we do, actually, as a believer. It's the first things that we do when we confess our faith in Yeshua. It turns out this is also exactly how the Lord saves His people. Let's just go back, uh, let's put Noah on pause for a second here. Let's talk about the children of Israel being saved out of Egypt. One of the pinnacles of them being saved out of Egypt was when they went in the midst of the Red Sea. That They, and what, they were not alive, we, they were not saved from the punishment and from the doom that Egypt was bringing upon them until they crossed that water. Until they crossed that water, because their life was still in danger up to that point. It's the same thing with us. If we continue to walk in our filth and our sin, we might talk about being saved as a believer. We might talk about having seen miracles of God. But until we go through that spiritual baptism and that spiritual rebirth, we're not truly saved. We're not truly free. So what did God have to do with the world? When all that sin was taking place and all these things, God created the world we have the story of Adam, which is actually one of the first things we need to understand as believers as well. We're all sons of Adam. We all have sinned. We're inherently sinful. Well, now that I recognize that, I want to live righteously. I want to have the grace of God like Noah did. Well, what's next? It's time to go through the water. Do you, have you really put two and two together that the flood upon the earth was the earth being reborn? Reborn. Reborn. Remember, it was first made of the waters. The first thing that happened was the earth was formless and void, and the waters were over the waters, and there was waters. And then God caused land to come up and separate the waters from the waters. And it was like you, the, the earth being born coming out of water. It would have looked the exact same thing as the flood after the flood, that when the waters start to recede, the earth and the land was coming up out of the water. The earth was being reborn into a whole new existence, into a whole new creation. That's what the entire story of the flood was, was the earth being reborn because of sin and because of defilement. That's what we also do in our personal lives. When we confess our faith, we too must be reborn. And we're given the gift of eternal life. Now, one of the things that I also like pointing out anytime that eternal life is mentioned in the scripture, that it is, it's, it's explained as if it's more of a present possession than it's some sort of gift you're going to receive later. Some of us think when you hear eternal life, they think it's that's something that when you die, you're going to go to the pearly gates and you're going to talk to St. Peter or whoever's there and he's going to tell you whether you're going to get in or then whether you're going to go to the other place in the eternal damnation. And if you get allowed to go in, well, that's when you're going to get handed your badge that says eternal life. And you're going to then have eternal life. That's not at all what scripturally is ever described as eternal life when you have been born again as a believer in the messiah let me tell you something that maybe you haven't realized before your eternal life has already begun eternal life is a present possession that you have already started the question now for you in your life is what are you going to do with it every day here on earth is a gift that you get to wake up and you get to live and you get to bless somebody and do this and do that. And if you have a faith in the Yeshua the Messiah, he has given you eternal life. You've been born again. That new life has begun. What are you now going to do with it? Now, that's not to say that it's like, oh, well, now that I have eternal life, now I can do whatever I want. I can go jump off a building if I want. No, it doesn't exactly work like that. But when it ultimately you have the ability and the control over your own life to then say, what are you going to do with this new life that has been born again? Are you going to continue to walk in the same sin and the defilement that you've lived your life before that point? Or are you going to live that new life, truly being born again? Now, of course, in the case of the world, <laughs> um, you know, we, man came out of the ark, And then they began to repopulate the earth. And does that mean that it was so reborn that now there was no issue with sin anymore? Of course not. Because what it is is that there is still a struggle with sin that we face on a day-in, day-out basis that all comes from the seed of Adam. That we all have, that we are all sinful. The thing that we have to do is we have to recognize and we have to make the choice of how we live to live righteously before the Lord. Wouldn't it be so great if you could be seen in the eyes of God as one who is righteous like Noah, that in, surrounded in a world full of terrible things, but he looks at your heart and he says, you know what, I can work with this. Now, that's not to say, that it was, had Noah ever sinned in his life? Of course he had sinned at some point in his life. He wasn't completely sinless. But you want to be looked at by God with the same eyes that he saw Noah. He found favor in his sight. He found grace in his sight. One of the cool things I always love pointing out about Noah is his name, Noach, which is made up of a noon and a het, that there is the, the Hebrew word for grace is chen, which is a het and a noon. And so Noah's name reversed is grace. And so when he looked upon Noah, he found grace. And he was given grace. This reminds me, of course, of another passage of Scripture. If you would turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2. Starting at verse 1, it says this, And you He made alive, who were dead in trespass and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. "...among whom all we were once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh." Sounds like the days of Noah. "...fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others." Verse 4, "...but God, who is rich in mercy, because he is gr- His great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in trespass, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved." "...and raised up together, raised us up together, and made us sit together in the heavenly places with Messiah Yeshua, that in the ages to come He might show the exceeding riches of His grace and His loving kindness toward us in Messiah Yeshua. For by grace you were saved through faith, and that not of yourselves it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are His workmanship." Created in Messiah Yeshua for good works, which God prepared beforehand, that we should walk in them. Noah was saved by grace; he was grace was found in him, and he was then delivered. With grace was given to him and delivered from the sin that was around him. Same for the children of Israel crossing the Red Sea; that they were saved first by grace. Of course, then I love pointing out the order of things as they were saved first by grace, then they went to the mountain to receive the covenant and to live in commandments. That's actually the order of things given to us through the Israelites. So for us, what we have to do is we have to be saved first by grace, then we walk according to the commandments. Kind of a little bit of the opposite of some people who proclaim that we need to be saved, but then the Torah doesn't have anything to do with us anymore. That I would take issue with. But back to the passage we just read. Is that that? Is that we? This is a gift given by God that we are not to boast in our own workmanship. We are the Lord's workmanship. Imagine if Noah and his sons sitting in the ark had boasted about how great of a boat they made. It holds out the water just fine. We got all the animals here. We did all these things. And man, look at what we accomplished here, right? Absolutely not. No one who is in that condition, in that state, being saved. Yes, the Lord gave you the the tools you needed to accomplish those things. But that is not for us to boast that somehow by their own works they were saved. That because they built such a great ark, they were saved. No. We are saved by the grace of God. When He has looked upon us and He has decided to save us, and we have that opportunity to be born again, To live again, even though we in our own, left to our own devices, we fall back into corruption and sin. But God is so gracious to us that He has saved us. If now, let's turn to 2 Peter chapter 3. See, now here, excuse me, this is back to this thing and this idea about the judgment that came upon those that walk in sin. Where it says this, Beloved, I now write to you this second epistle. I stir up your pure minds by ways of remember, that you might be mindful of the words which were spoken before the holy prophets, and of the commandment of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior, knowing that first that scoffers would come in the last days, walking according to their own lusts, and saying, Where is this promise of his coming? are reserved for fire until the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. But, beloved, do not forget this one thing, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is as one day. The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, and some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance." There's that waiting again that we were talking about, where the Lord is waiting for His people to show repentance for the sins we've committed. The the, the Scripture here, and and, and Peter talking of all these things, he's not holding anything back. That all of these things, that those that would be in the last days, scoffers, because there were scoffers in the time of Noah as well. That the people, he was building this big, giant, wooden ark. They had never seen a drop of rain before in their life and what you building this ark for no it's like well you know building this is going to be save us and preserve us and they were just like pfft, nothing's gonna happen there were scoffers in those days guess what there's plenty of scoffers today as well in the ways that we walk in the ways that we we operate when you try to live your life in a good christian way how many times is anybody then gonna to, gonna to point out when you make one mistake one thing that you did wrong, and they're going to scoff, and they're going to mock, and they're going to, and they're going to tell you how everything that you do and everything that you are doing or attempting to do in your life is all for naught. Well, the thing for us is to continue to walk that it's by the Word of God that He has given us, that He has taught us to live our life a certain way. It's a good thing we don't live our life exactly by everything that man, man teaches. Because men are flawed. Men make mistakes. Man changes what what knowledge and what truth is all the time. But God is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. He is everlasting. He's the one thing you can count on when you follow Him, not the teachings of men. And that those people were judged. And we might say... That, oh man, that judgment, oh man, that was reserved for a terrible, terrible world and God flooded the whole, whole earth and then he gave us that rainbow that told us he was never going to judge again the, the world by water. Okay, that, that's, that's wonderful. Uh, yeah, then it says that those at the end of the days are reserved, that their punishment, their day of judgment is reserved for fire. Fire will be the thing that will judge the earth again. God has the ability to judge the world. The last time that he did it, only eight people survived. Now, it's amazing that we have prophecies that there will be more, that the the tribulation saints will be a number that no man can count, and his salvation will be great. But there's a lot more people in the world today. And there are those who will fall into that judgment, that will perish because of their unrepentance. God is waiting today, right now, in the world today. For His people, for His remnant, for, for the ones who are going to be there with Him in the kingdom. He is waiting for them to make repentance. Because when they do, they will be the ones who will be caught up at the end of the age. Who will have their name found in the Lamb's book of life. And who will survive the coming judgment that will be here. Remember, He said that right there. This ties back into what I said last week. Beloved, do not forget That with the Lord, one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is as one day. And I compared that to the days of creation, and that the Lord comes in the year 6,000. Now, is there a chance that we have misnumbered the days throughout, and the years throughout all of history, and we really don't know exactly where we are? Of course, that's possible. We sit there, and we do our best Bible chronology studies to try and figure out how old the world is and how long, how many years could it have been? Or how, and when you sit there and you count it all up, and it's like, ladies and gentlemen, we're pretty close to 6,000 if we haven't already passed it. So when this idea, and, the, and Peter here is saying, look, don't forget this one thing. You might forget all these other things. Don't forget this one thing, that with the Lord, one day is, is 1,000 years, and that the Lord is coming soon. There is going to be a Sabbath of millennia at some point. Do we know exactly when it will be? No. But we need to be preparing ourselves, preparing our lives for when that comes. We need to be building our ark. Now, that doesn't mean that I'm saying that you should be building some giant flame-retardant uh, shell that will prevent, in the day of judgment, fire from coming into you and your family. No, that's, that's not what I mean. But preparing your ark spiritually in the same way that being born first of the water is physical and of the flesh, but being born again is one that is spiritual in nature. If you have been born again, then start living your life in preparation for the coming of your master, because we are all servants. We are all servants in his house, and every day that he gives us is a miracle, and by the grace of God that we get to live this life. Though it might look like on the outside that the days are looking like they were in the days of Noah. We must not be caught up in that, in those sins, in those mistakes. We must keep ourselves righteous as Noah did. So that when God's eyes move to and fro across the earth, and when he does come as a thief in the night, in a day and an hour that no man knows, and that we can, we can guess or we can predict and we can do all these things, and every man that's ever guessed is probably wrong, but when it comes and when the Lord decides that He is ready to clean this place up and that His people he are prepared and ready for His coming, may you be the ones that gathered more oil. May you be the ones that have light in the sh- in shining in the darkness. May you be the ones that spiritually prepared your house for the true glory and presence of God. That's who we need to be. We need to be like Noah in the coming days of judgment. I pray that the Lord is coming very soon. I pray His kingdom come very soon. That's what the Messiah told us how to pray. It's to pray that His will be done and His kingdom come. So, let that be our prayer. And let us learn from the days of Noah and what Noah did and his family did so that they might be saved in the day of judgment and so that we ourselves can also be saved in the great day of judgment. Amen? Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you on this day. We thank you for your teaching. We thank you for your word. Father, we thank you for all the words, the wise words that you have inspired, Lord, in the apostles, that they have, that they have taught and for us to learn and to glean from, Lord. And Father, I thank you for your Torah and your instruction. And Father, may the, all the scripture come alive to us powerfully this week. May we truly understand what it is to be your people, to do what is righteous, to, have, to, to, be, uh, to receive your grace, Lord. Father, I pray that you look down with mercy and kindness upon us. I pray that you find favor and find grace to give to us. Father, when you come to see the hearts of your people, Father, I pray that we would be ones of humble, repentant hearts, Lord, ready for your return, ready for your judgment, Lord, and prepared for your coming. So, Father, we love you, we bless you, and we thank you on this Sabbath day. We thank you for your teaching and instruction from the New Testament this week, and we pray that we would all be blessed as we rest here on this Sabbath. So, Father, we bless you and thank you, and we give you all the honor, glory, and praise in this place. It's in your Son, Yeshua, that we pray. Amen.
0: murre ya eh
2: In the name of Yeshua the Messiah, the Prince of Peace, Shalom.